Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everybody. It is a Wednesday night, and that means we are right here with you for Friends and Fiction. We have an amazing evening ahead of us, so let's get started. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we'll be talking with Tamron Hall, who, in addition to being the author of the debut novel, As the Wicked Watch, is also, of course, the Emmy award-winning host and executive producer of the popular nationally syndicated talk show, Tamron Hall. We're actually especially happy to be talking to Tamron tonight because as, drum roll please, Patty. Thank you. <laughs> Her debut novel, As the Wicked Watch, is our brand new fable behind the book club pick for this month, starting today. Yeah, we're so excited. I'm going to be leading the discussion over on our Fable app, which means I'll be popping in several times a week to ask questions, read your answers, and reply to you. We love the idea that once a month, we get to pick a book we feature on the show and then read it alongside you. And the app gives you the freedom to read at your own pace and then weigh in chapter by chapter when you're ready. So we hope that tonight you'll be so intrigued by what Tamron says that you'll rush out to pick up a copy of your of her book, which is out in paperback now. It just came out in paperback a few weeks ago, and that you will then come on over to fable.co to hang out with me. But it gets even better. We have had so many of you ask us, text us, DM us, what is Fable? How does it work? And why do you need to download an app to read along with us? Well, we've shared that feedback with Fable, and they want to offer all of you our Friends in Fiction crew, a 14-day free trial so that you can see what the fun is all about. So now, right now, head over to the App Store, download the Fable app, and if you haven't already, create your account, search for Friends and Fiction, and the app will automatically offer you a 14-day free trial of our premium club. If you don't like reading along with us or interacting with us, as if. We're, we're kind of mean sometimes. <laughs> you know. No worries. You can cancel before the trial is up. I can't imagine. But at least you can see what Fable is all about without any risk. And if you do like it, it's only $4.99 a month after the first 14 days. And don't forget, as you know, we continue to encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way to do that is to visit our own Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page where you can find Tamron's book and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount. And of course, you all know that we've been enjoying doing an Ask Us Anything segment at the top of the show each week, but tonight Tamron can only be with us for the first half of the show. So we're going to do an extended Ask Us Anything segment on the show's second half. So if you have a question for the four of us, feel free to drop it in the comments now because we'll be taking a live question or two from you in just a little while. All right, ladies, let's get to our guest for the evening. Tamron Hall is an accomplished and award-winning journalist who hosts and exec executive produces the nationally syndicated daytime talk show, Tamron Hall. So we're not nervous with a Emmy Award winning no. daytime talk show. <laughs> I can we're not you guys. Oh, no. so yeah. yeah, we're basically it's basically just like us. It's just just, it's just yeah. I mean, we're we're kind of same same. So Tamron was also a part of the NBC News team as a co-host on the third hour of NBC's Today Show and the anchor of MSNBC Live 
with Tamron Hall. She has hosted several special reports for MSNBC and NBC News, and she served as a correspondent for the NBC News special, the inauguration of Barack Obama, which won an Emmy for outstanding live coverage in October of 2010. Tamman received an Edgar R. Murrow Award in 2015 for her segment on domestic violence as part of today's Shine a Light series. She also brought her signature reporting style to the Guns on Campus Tamron Hall Investigate special, which explored the importance of securing one's personal safety on public property. Tamron is a native of Luling, Texas, and she graduated from Temple University with a degree in broadcast journalism. She also received Temple University's prestigious Lou Klein Alumni and the Media Award in 2010 and again in 2015. Sean, we're so excited to talk to her. Can you bring Tamron on, please? Hi, Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, it's so good to see you. Welcome. It's good to be seen, but I have to tell you, you gave me this beautiful introduction. And um, because we are friends, clearly with the title, true friends don't tell your secrets. And so for those of you watching, right before we came on, I confessed to trying to teach my three-year-old to finally <laughs> accept macaroni and cheese. And if you see macaroni um, on me, that's because I lost the battle. I ran down to hang out with you. So that's a true sign of friendship that you hide all of this with this beautiful introduction. And in real life, I've got Kraft macaroni or whatever brand. You have the flowers to camouflage it. You actually did wear the perfect top for that. That's There's nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like macaroni cleavage to make you feel like a mom. <laughs> When in doubt, go for the Mac cleavage. That's our oh, sorry. We're going to do this. That's great. <laughs> That's going to end up being hashtag. Just you watch. <laughs> Mac I love it. All right. Tamron Hall, macaroni and cheese warrior. First, can you tell us a bit about what As the Wicked Watch is about? And then, mm. and this is one of our favorite questions lately, can you tell us what the book is really about? Macaroni oh, session. <laughs> Well, the book follows a journalist, Jordan Manning, inspired in some ways by my 30 years of reporting. Um, and I grew up reading Nancy Drew, right? And and so as a kid in Texas, I'd have my book series underneath the bed with all the dust. And as I got through the little copies of uh, the, the collection that my mom and dad had given me, that's always been a part of uh I guess my personality is somewhat of a Nancy Drew type of person, which I don't, I don't even know if I'm articulate. I mean, with these New York Times bestsellers, I'm not even, my words are not coming out. They come out better in my hands when I write them. And so you know, growing up <laughs> watching us. Nancy, they're reading Nancy Drew and also being a journalist for 30 years and being stuck in this very spot in many, uh, many, many days in the lockdown in New York, I decided um, to bring to life this character that unbeknownst to me was really trying to break free. And being here in the pandemic gave me this opportunity, a woman who's 50 years old, to step out of my comfort zone. Um, for decades, my comfort zone has been obviously what I do for a living uh, on television. But I stepped out of my comfort zone to create this character, Jordan Manning. And the book is about what is the balance between being a reporter and also being tempted to investigate and uncover the rights, the wrongs that we witness um, being a reporter for 30 years or many things I never talked about publicly. And while you hold this um, position of reporting, you are still a human being and it is impossible to walk away from the scene of a child being killed a tragic accident that in someone's life and seeing the parents and the family members gather and wondering and asking why, and to walk back into your home and suddenly erase that, it's impossible. So we see through Jordan's lens, no pun intended, of reporting, what is it really like for a reporter when the story compels you pulls you in to do more than stand in front of the camera and tell the facts. I love that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, I can imagine that would be a really difficult balance. And I mean, who better to write this story than you? Um, but as the Wicked Watch is, of course, a fast paced crime novel, but it's also a statement on society, specifically the way mm -hmm. that often when people of color go missing, their cases don't receive the same kind of media attention. So, in fact, I would really love to read a quick comment to you from our amazing book club leader, Lisa Harrison, who calls herself a forever member of the TAM fam. Lisa says, as a woman of color originally from Chicago, I felt like we had so much in common. I want to thank Tamron for shining a light on the differences in how criminal cases are handled by the media, police, etc., depending on race, gender, sexual orientation, and other characteristics of the victims. In the African-American community and communities of people of color, we hear about these horrific crimes. And when you turn on the news, there's nothing reported. Tamron, we love Lisa. We are we are a forever member of um, the Lisa fam. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> so we were so glad that she weighed in yeah. because she's such an important yeah. part of our, our show and our group here. But um, the way this unfolds in your book is absolutely heartbreaking and it really hits home. So can you talk a little bit about this issue? And um, obviously, so it's so important to shed light yeah. on that. Can you just expound upon that a little of bit? Of course I can. You know, so so honestly, the the storyline follows the disappearance of a young African-American girl and whether or not there's a serial killer on the loose in Chicago. The story, though, was inspired by the disappearance and ultimately the deaths of two girls. One happened to be a black girl in Chicago, the other a young white girl of the same age in Texas. I was a reporter in Texas, and one of the last assignments I had was this disappearance of a young girl and her brother. And it affected me in a way that honestly I never recognized and never dealt with until writing this novel. I remember receiving her kindergarten picture when she disappeared, and you've watched the news and we've all seen disappearances. and you know, there's a photo that they use and have you seen this child? And, and one of the things um, I'll tell you just a little bit, one beat back from that, I was the first reporter on the scene when Amber, the Amber Alert went missing. Oh my, I saw oh my her gosh. bike. I saw her bike where it laid where she was last standing. I arrived oh there with God. the cameraman that I was with covering this story much later. And we like so many people held out hope that she would be found alive because her brother who was missing with her was found. Um, but he, uh, at the time informed authorities of an individual who was connected to the family and, and actually had been dating the mother while I was in the car on this bridge, waiting to hear if she'd been found or not and holding out hope and thinking about this picture. And I'd met her, the parents of her friends and their play groups and all of these things and gone by her school. We got word that she'd been found. And I thought, She's been found. And then the next beat, she's not alive. The camera person I was working with at the time said, I walked out of the car and he said it was as if I had gone into a trance. I don't even remember it. But what I now know at that time was that I knew her. I You can't walk with her picture and talk with her friends and and not know this child. Fast forward the same year I'm in Chicago, a child goes missing and she is black. And I know her, I have her picture, I'm reporting, I'm saying her name, I'm talking about her. But the case unfolded in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And I saw in real time, good people make bad decisions on, which mattered more and which should be the headline. And I saw this theme throughout my career and we've all seen it, right? We've all seen it. And it's not just race, it's socioeconomic. John Benet Ramsey, how many times did we hear her yeah. mansion that the parents lived in and these beautiful pictures of her in the pageants, which we know cost a lot of money and the emphasis put on that. And thus the value of that story became even more important. And so this story unfolds with Jordan now on the scene of a disappearance in Chicago, um, investigating the story and wondering why her colleagues, friends of hers in the newsroom, good journalists, 
aren't conveying the urgency of the moment, don't care or don't seem to care. So that's the journey of the story. I just completed the second in this series. And I'll, since we're, we're friends, I can share <laughs> that. Um, Jordan is now in this second book. Um, once you read and you'll follow her career, because as a reporter, you don't pick your story, right? You go in, you learn your assignment that day. And now Jordan is investigating the disappearance of a woman who happens to be white, who happens to be a mom. It's very different from Jordan. Jordan, as you will see, is single. She's dating. She's wondering how can you love work and love a guy? And she's got all kinds of juice things happening in her personal life. I'm not saying if that was inspired by my life. I have my ring on. I'm <laughs> just saying it wasn't always, there wasn't always a ring. So <laughs> there's dating and there's juggling and all of these things in her life. But now in this second book as part of the series, she's investigating the disappearance of a mom uh, who's very different from her. And will she be compelled to follow the leads and do more as she has been compelled in this first case? So we just see a glimpse of not black and white as much as it is. What happens when the journalist goes home? What happens in the mind? What happens when you want to do more? And that's what we see here with this story. And again, the, the, the journey of a woman at a certain age, she's in her 30s, she's in her career, she loves her job, but she goes home alone. And she wakes up with red wine on the side of the bed. Not that that's a bad thing, I might do that tonight. <laughs> but, you know, you wake up with a red wine glass on the side of the bed and you wonder, what's it all about? What does it yeah. all mean? Tamron, you gave me, talking about those stories and about those children, it gave me head to toe yeah. goosebumps because for you to be involved in that and live through that as what is supposed to be a detached journalist and then not thinking about some of that until you write fiction, it's almost like you were digging into it mm-hmm. when you were able to make it fictional is, yeah. is astounding. And I think when people first heard you wrote a book, the expectation was that it would be a memoir or a book about current events. But instead, you just wrote a really compelling novel. So I want you to talk to us, if you will, a little bit about why you took this slightly more unexpected route, especially when you probably had some dirt to spill. Well, listen, I said, you know, my memoir involves some of the living, so I might wait. Um, <laughs> but... Um, uh, you know, I, I've always, I don't consider myself a rebel despite my multiple tattoos, but, um, I've always tried to follow my path of authenticity and do what I want. And of course, people approached about a memoir after leaving the Today Show and the way it all played out and things that subsequently happened. I mean, Harvey Weinstein was the first person to approach about a national talk show. You know, what was it like to be in a room with a Harvey Weinstein? I could write the book on that, you know? Um, But I felt, you know, and it would be beauty books. There were all kinds of books that that come into play and discussion. And those books will come at the time. But for me, this was so much about stepping out of my comfort zone at this very uncertain time in all of our lives. We're all wondering about our health, our families, our jobs, all of this, this mysterious illness that's plaguing the world. And we're inside. And I felt like, well, if this is it, I kind of want to do what I want to do even more. And I sat and started to write this book. And then I started to think about my life as a 48-year-old first-time mom. Um, The People magazine headline said, Miracle Baby. I just thought (laughs) I was having a baby. I didn't know it was a miracle. I named it Moses. There you have it. Um, But a lot of things in my life came much later. And it came after stepping out of my comfort zone. And so for me, as I keep saying, you know, now being, and I can't even believe I'm a few weeks from my 52nd birthday, according to Wikipedia. um, (laughs) I'm going to change that if you'd like. I know, right? I do know somebody, you have friends, wink, wink, who know. So we can get this done. I think it's possible. (laughs) Friends who know fiction. That's fiction yeah. they're selling out there. Exactly but, you right. know, there you go. <laughs> Friends who know. Where did the show name? Oh, my gosh. I, I like it. Friends who know fiction. But, you know, being a certain age, I said, I'm going to do this. You know, I, I don't know all the beats. I won't pretend that I am studied in fiction or how to uh, write a crime novel. But I went to what I do know. 
And I know what Jordan felt like being at a vigil um, the night that a child has gone missing or a child has been found dead. I've been there. So I could use my personal experience as a journalist, as a reporter, as a family member who lost my sister in a murder that's gone unsolved. I can use those real feelings and also bring in what I've witnessed, right? Are we a witness of life or participant? Sometimes we're both. And I've witnessed other women in the business and witnessed um, the struggle to get to the network level and what that entails and the sacrifices of family and friends and all those things while loving your job. So I brought in what I was a participant of, but also what I witnessed in constructing this storyline inspired by real things. But with Jordan, to your point, I had an opportunity to do things I couldn't have ever done. She was, she is much more aggressive and bold and she speaks up for herself. While I like to believe at this point in my career, I'm more confident and I can speak up for myself and take the heat. And I just told someone today uh, in a conversation, I will no longer apologize for leading my show, right? And so that took me 52 years to say that. (laughs) That Listen, it took me 52 years. I need to write it on my arm to remind myself of it. But (laughs) I'm no longer apologizing for being a leader in the workplace. But when I was 27, I laughed at jokes that weren't funny at my expense. I shrunk myself down. Um, I allowed things to be said to me that would make someone's flesh crawl. And I was not accepting of it, but I didn't know what to do. Jordan knows what to say. That's the pleasure, the joy of fiction. I can rewrite history through her lens and give her power that I had. But as Dorothy Gale, Wizard of Oz, I didn't know I was there all along. And so she gets to do that. Your stronger self. Like you gave your stronger self to Jordan. Absolutely. And I gave it. That's exactly right. And so we see that. Yeah. 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 At a a critical time when all of us felt weak and helpless, right? None of us, we turn on the news and we didn't know. So I think this, the timing of the birth of As the Wicked Watch and the birth of Jordan and what I hope is a continuation of her, um, could not have happened, I believe, if we were not in that time. So that's why now, and that's why this type of book. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer. You know, Tamara, you just mentioned your own sister's tragedy, and we know that she was murdered in 2004, and it's still never been solved, and we're sorry. We're so sorry about that. But so much of your career has been about shining light on tragic loss, from your Deadline crime series to your talk show now. Um, it seems to me that you're not afraid to go to those dark places yeah. in your journalism, but you have the ability to do that with compassion and empathy. And I think that's one of the things that makes this book so deeply affecting, too. Could you talk to us a little about about it, if you don't mind, about how the loss of your sister helped shape the past 18 years of your life and your career? It's um, thank you for, um, first of all, thoughtfully asking and understanding uh, how it is. It is, a, you know, my answer is a living, breathing thing. Some days I can get through an answer. Some days I can't. And I can tell you that my decision to talk about my sister publicly and her death was one that was um, made for me by circumstances I was in. The quick story of it is I was just starting out at the Today Show and oftentimes they will come to you and say, hey, we, this organization needs a host and you know, you foster goodwill in the community by hosting events. And there was an organization in New York um, and uh, they teach children and young people how to date properly. What's the right way to date? And dating uh, safely and understanding that if someone says they don't want to call you back, you just can't keep calling them all times of the night. And these things that kids can accept and see in culture and believe it's okay. And, and I was at this event and there were a number of young women. um, And what I mean by young is 15, 16, 17, telling horrific stories of uh, dating abuse, um, brutal stories. And I felt as the host that there I am, you know, I'm being Tamron Hall. I've got my blazer on and I'm standing there and, listening to their stories one after the other and realizing that I was robbing them because in a sense, I'm listening to their stories, but I am not telling my truth. 
we in the South have this saying, fair exchange, no robbery. And what we mean by that is if you sit down with somebody and you're saying, my husband is terrible and he did this and they're just listening and they're not telling you what's going on in their life. It's not a fair exchange. If I, I love that. You, so, yeah. so somebody's being robbed here. And so I was listening to them, but I was not fairly exchanging my truth. And at that moment, I got up to the mic and I said, my sister was murdered. We don't know what happened, but I do know one night in my home, I kicked her out because she wouldn't kick him out. At the time, I thought I was inspiring her and giving her tough love to shut it down. And why don't you leave? Things we know now you never say. I didn't know at the time. And it cost us precious time together. I thank God that we mended that break. But soon after she died. And in this story, I was able to give life to some of those feelings of pain and the absence of a loved one and what that means. With this case, my sister's story didn't become a national conversation until I became a national news figure. But with this case, with Pamela and the disappearance of Macy, her daughter, it's instantly national. So you're trying to deal with your loved one being judged. And, and my sister had struggles in her past. And part of the reason I did not want to talk about what happened to her, because I didn't want people to say, oh, hey, wait a minute. Didn't she have a substance abuse issue at one time? Didn't she have this and make that her story? And we see that in the novel where suddenly if someone becomes missing, it's, oh, she was a prostitute or where was she or what was she doing or what did she do? What was was she wearing? All of those things. And so that's where that was inspired. Um, Truly was in the initial and early days of me discussing my sister, my worry and fear that her worst days would define her. And people would look for reasons of why this happened to her versus it should never happen to anyone. So we put that um, in the story with my editors. And and it was, you know, I had it was like a little therapy session, honestly, because it was inspired by the judgment I feared my sister would encounter the minute I spoke what happened to her. Wow. Wow, That's so powerful. And that, you know, that was something I felt so much in the pages of this book, too. I, I just I think you spoke to that issue so well that that idea of the instinct for victim shaming right like that yeah. The, the, the the yeah i um it was just beautifully done and i think there's something amazing when you're able to harness things you felt and things you've gone mm-hmm. through and things you've experienced and put them into a debut novel like this i mean i think it feels so much more um personal and and even mm-hmm. hearing you talk about it now is just enriching my experience with the novel. Yeah. I, I'm just so impressed. Yeah, and that's because I, I recognize, as I said, this was not my world. I can write a news story. I can read a news story, but this is out of my lane. This is not my, my wheelhouse. So the, I don't the think mechanics. You can say that more. I, that's so true. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, you're writing and you're thinking, oh, God, James Patterson would never do that. You know, you're going to these, you're measuring yourself like people who've done it way better. And so I thought, okay, I know there has, there are rules to this and there are things that I should know and there are beats and there are things that you study in any craft to become better at it, as I've done in my journalism career. But I was able to, again, to throw caution at the wind because it's, what's going to happen? We're all locked inside. Who's going to judge me, right? So I thought, let me just pull from, again, the witness in all of our lives and the participant in all of our lives. And we play the role in both. And so I pull those into the story. I read it now and I can tell the days that my son was hanging out in my room. And I'm like, oh, I should have kicked that kid out sooner. Oh, you know? That's hilarious. And I also I can read the pages where I was comfortably outside with a cup of coffee and just yeah. um, getting in my zone. And and so the second book in the series is, is, is far more refined and, and the textures and the riches, but I'm also, and not, none of us are under the weight of believing that the world was ending, which again, I cannot stress it up, was the space I was in with the book. So it was liberating to have that fear in some ways, but now that the waters have calmed, um, 
in the world in, in that respect, because we obviously know many other things are going on from Ukraine and to anything else. But in that respect, the waters have come where we can leave out of our homes and socialize with our friends. It gave me a different beat, a different texture to her story, yeah. which is why in the second book, she does travel and she's out because now ah. in my mind, I'm not locked in. And so I guess that also tapped into something. So Jordan travels out of her lane. Well, you know, and I want to ask you about that writing during the pandemic. But first, I do have to say, take it from the four of us. We've written between us more than 70 books. And we all think you are one of us. Like you did a, I mean, oh. this is, you, you were just, you, you might feel like it was not a seamless process or it didn't come across seamlessly, but we do not feel that way. We, it, it was very oh, well executed okay. and very well written. And we're so happy to join. Yeah. One, your editor is a friend of all of ours. So oh, Carrie. Oh, Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We love Carrie very much. Carrie was outstanding. And, and the support system around me um, was was phenomenal. And, and again, as I, I say, part of the book was an accomplishment as it's sitting right here. Um, but it's a reminder and my message overall um, to anyone listening, especially women, stepping out of our comfort zones and taking on new things from the small uh, I'm getting ready to change my hair color for the first time ever in TV. We, we go back to my show, September 6th, we start new season four of the show. I have never changed my hair color and I'm changing my hair color and I'll probably change it back the next day. But it's just another reminder of stepping out of our comfort zones creatively, um, the big things in our lives, the small things in our lives. And that's what this book represents to me as well. It's the story of Jordan Manning, but it's the story of Tamron, a woman of a certain age saying, I'm going to step out of this comfort zone. Well, let me ask you quickly about that because when you wrote this book, you had to be the furthest from your comfort zone you'd ever been. Yeah. You, Your son was still a baby. I mean, a small baby. You had a relatively yeah. new talk show when the, the pandemic began in early 2020. And yet somehow you managed to keep the show going and thriving in yeah. fact from the basement of your house, right? Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, parenting a child who was not even a year old yet. And somehow in the midst of that, you wrote a book. <laughs> so like, I don't, I don't know, that's amazing. Well, you so, know what? Because you're only as good as the company you keep, right? Yeah. This is why I love what you're doing. Um, and, and having the whole concept and the intention of this being about friends, you're only as good as the company you keep. And I, yeah. I'm thankful I keep great company and my husband, who's awesome. And I have great company and a phenomenal team that, pulls together that show. So it allowed for me to do this. So I mean, which is, again, why I was so honored to be invited to participate tonight, because the friends you keep matter. And those friends allow you to grow, they inspire you, they, they, they pull you into being your better self, when sometimes you don't even want to be your better self. And also bring you into spaces of light. And this was a space of light for me. And it was only born because of the company that I keep and that my husband was helping and the team helping to keep the show grounded and going. I love that. All right. Well, Tamron, we would love to pull a couple of live questions for you. Maybe one or two oh, live course, questions. We have course, a lot of, of people course, tuning course. in. A lot of people are okay. super engaged and asking things. Yeah. Um, Kathy or Mary Kay, would you like to pull a question? Yeah. Um, here's a good one from Jen Deal. How do you okay. compartmentalize what you see in the news so it doesn't affect you personally mm. the way it does Jordan in this story? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's a good one. Yeah. That's a great question. And thank you for asking it. I, you know, when I did Deadline Crime, which was on for six seasons, I had this um, process where I would go to a restaurant and I had like a steak and I, I just would red wine like I'm like give me a goblet like Ugh. I was just um, it felt like I had to fill this 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 um, overwhelming sadness with something so I, I I have to admit I would overindulge in these big meals and I was just Argh. and um, I I, I knew that that wasn't healthy behavior, but I didn't know how to, to deal with it. I go to therapy, like I hope most people, are, if you're able to, um, whether it's on Zoom or in person. And I was processing a lot of it in therapy, but Jordan, really, that's probably the strongest glimpse of my life, which is her trying to process this. 
I didn't find a path for it and I still struggle with it. I can tell you, I ended that show after I got pregnant with Moses. I, I remember being in the audio booth and I was recording something and it was like, oh God, a, a script that I don't even want to uh, think about, but it was horrifying. And I thought, can my baby hear this? You know, they tell you to listen to baby Einstein and I'm reading a murder story, you know, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. This is not good. So that break that I had allowed me to process some of it, but I I don't know. I'm a crier um, very naturally to the the chagrin of my team and my makeup artists who the eyelashes go falling off. Uh, I, (laughs) Uh, my mother did say, you know, she was happy that I had Moses for many reasons, but she said, you know, he gave you something else to focus on. And so I think that he's helped a lot, um, which is not fair to him to have that burden of helping mom deal with covering crime, but um, he's helped a lot. And I, I think I, it is something that I struggle with. And, and what in the next chapter of my life, I've talked to my husband about perhaps wanting to uh, breaking news. Um, start a curriculum at Temple University, which is I'm on the board of trustees or some of the university on a PTSD that journalists um, deal uh-huh. with. I um, I had, you know, when I was studying to be a journalist, there were law and ethics. There was this, all these yeah. classes on how to be a reporter. But I believe that there's a version of a PTSD. And I don't use this lightly. My father was in the army for 30 years. So I've been in a military home my entire life. But um I can tell you that some form of PTSD, that when you are inches from a body, firefighters and police officers, they are trained for that, right? They go to specific training. There's no training for a reporter to deal with that. You know, I got in to report, you know, and then suddenly you're steps away from things that no human being can just walk away. And by the way, nor should you. I don't want to be the reporter who can walk away from that and think, oh, Ta-da! You know, I, I want it to yeah. stick with me. And that comes, um, you know, with, with complexities. But I'd like to explore in my next chapter of my life at some point a curriculum that helps the next generation of reporters recognize that it's real, how to deal with it, and how to maybe even incorporate it. One of the most liberating things for me as a reporter was one of the first times I cried in the middle of an interview interviewing the father who lost his daughter to suicide and he looked at me and his eyes said help I, I and I, I felt it and I couldn't do the reporter thing when you're standing I leaned in and I touched him I broke the wall and I felt so liberated and free and that's some of again what I try to put into Jordan and as she evolved I hope to be able to present that because reporters don't talk about it a lot oh, that's so true so you were being so um, transparent and honest and vulnerable with us. It's really touching. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tamron, we love to have a writing tip on this show. It's one of the things okay. we always um, we always love to ask before we let yeah. our guests go. Uh, would you mind sharing a writing tip with our viewers? Oh, Wow. Well, okay. Uh, the first tip that comes to mind, don't do long nails. It's hard to type. Um, <laughs> Chloe Kardashian kit is a no-no. <laughs> like, cannot go into this doesn't work. Texting. Um, I think the tip for me was uh, certainly using modern technology as your friend. I, a lot of the things uh, I, I would pick up my phone, which is never too far away from me except for now. And I would talk to my phone and I map out the story in my phone and using um, this gadget in the middle of the night helped me. Now it's not great for your marriage when the phone is in the middle of bed, but I, I found, you know, they say it's the, the witching hour. I found my, my witching hour as far as creativity. And so I think for me, because it's not my world and it's out of the zone of which I operate for writers, don't restrict yourself by rules, right? And you can apply that to anything in life, but don't find yourself following the template. We could hear um, any of your stories and you could map it out and we follow exactly the steps you took and we would not end up in the same space. We can be inspired by other writers, especially those as successful as the four of you are, that said the rules will break you 
they won't make you. So for me, young writers, new writers, um, one of the things that you have to find is your, and I don't like saying witching hour, but it really is. It's where you feel the most creative, the time of the day, the routine where you feel what you have inside of you. It's flowing. I know writer's block and that is so real and all of those challenges and life gets in it, but find your zone of creativity and it doesn't have to be what anyone else expects. It can be, listen, potty training the kids. Some people multitask well and I did that. I I was like doing things with my son and suddenly I'm like, and the chaos and I thrive. I happen to thrive in chaos. Um, But I think that's, the advice. It's not, I know that's not beautifully said and it's all over the place, but I think what I'm trying to articulate is don't, don't restrict yourself by the rules, how it's supposed to play out. That is excellent advice. And Tamron, I just cannot tell you what a pleasure it's been speaking with you tonight. I I wish we could have you for another hour. I mean, I know you have to (laughs) go and deal with macaroni and cheese and bedtime and all of that. Look what happened with my husband is traveling and I'm like, hey dude, I'm hanging out with my friends. Yeah. I'm hanging out with friends who know fiction. Exactly. What are the odds? But no, it's really an honor and it is um it's not lost on me whenever we have these kinds of conversations, but especially with uh, esteemed writers and respected writers as the four of you are and how thoughtful as women you've been in this space to support other women. And I, I'm so grateful and I, and I appreciate you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Tamara. Tamara, what kind words. Thank you. It was so nice to see you and we wish you the best with this book and we're so excited for the next one. I can't wait to see your new hair color, Tamara. I know. Oh my gosh. Listen, I... It, I just got off the phone with, uh, I just looked, I can't, once I started talking, I can't stop as you see. No, uh, my, the lighting person from our talk show just called a hair person and they're like, the lighting is going to be off. What color is this? <laughs> <laughs> That's behind the scenes. We'll have to put that in Jordan. The whole wardrobe battle that happens even in the world of journalism. So I'm excited to see my son's reaction. I'm sure you've seen the TikTok videos where the dad shaved their beards. And the kids are like, who are you? I'm curious how my son will react. So, oh, but thank you. Again. Awesome. We can't wait to see. Thanks. Thank you so much, Cameron. Have <laughs> thank a great you. night. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks a lot. Oh, my gosh. Was she so much fun? I loved her. She was so yeah. um, introspective and so honest. And it was just such a pleasure chatting with her. Yeah, I feel like she, we, she, I know she had to go, but yeah. we could have talked to her for another hour. Easy. Yeah, I, know, I know. We'll definitely have to have her back when the next book comes out. I, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel sure. like there's so much else we have to talk about with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of talking about things, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we thought we would do a bit of an extended ask us anything segment tonight. We'll do that maybe for the next, I don't know, eight or 10 minutes. You guys always are sending us such great questions. Um, and we never seem to have enough time to get to them. So maybe we'll, we'll do a little bit of that tonight. Yeah. So each week we've been giving you a chance to ask us anything. And if you have a question you'd like for the four of us to answer or a topic you'd like to discuss, we're all ears. So feel free to drop a question in the comment now, or it's really helpful for us. We can grab them for future weeks. So um, we want to hear from you and can't wait to answer some of your questions now. Okay. I'm going to get this ball rolling. Y'all ready? The first one tonight and I am super curious to hear your answer, comes from our friend, Debbie Cooperman Stone. And she asks, is there an experience you can describe that gave you the, I've made it feeling? Mary Kay? This is the best question. I know. <laughs> well, I was standing in line at an estate sale today and, um, <laughs> no, with no makeup. I know, big shock, right? No makeup on, my hair, you know, looked like a big pile of fuzz. And the woman in front of me looked at me and said, I feel like I know you from somewhere. And I just said, oh, you know, I have one of those faces. And I do. I have one of those faces. I look like everyone's cousin or their childhood best friend. <laughs> and she said, no, do you, I, I feel like it's more than that. Do you live in my subdivision? And I said, no, I, I no. And she was, finally she goes, are you Mary Kay Andrews? 
<laughs> I wanted to say, no, Mary Kay Andrews is not wearing a dirty T-shirt and, and no makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so then you had that I have made it feeling. Sure. <laughs> I so, love that. I wish I could give you a more glamorous I have I made it. I love that. I love that. <laughs> How about you, um, Kristen? You know, it's interesting because I there are some days that something will happen. Like, like I'll be on the front page of a newspaper in Israel. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like whose life am I living? And then there are, are other days where I'll be kind of like you said, Mary Kay, like in a dirty t-shirt at like school pickup or something. And another parent will say, you know, what do you do? And I'll say, oh, I, I write books. And they'll be, the response will be something like, well, that's so cute that your husband lets you do that. Or like, you know, things like that, where it's just like, yeah, it was really cute that he lets me, um, you know? So I, I don't know. There's kind of both sides of it. They, there are days that um, little things happen, but the majority of the time, I just feel like I'm this imposter living this life and this can't be me. I don't feel like I've made it most of the time. I just yeah. thought of another one. The first time back in the day when publishers threw money like around like it was water, my publisher, when I went out on book tour, would send um, a limo to pick me up at the house. And the first time it happened, my kids were young and they came out on the porch. And it was like, well, mom's in a limo. <laughs> oh, very cute. That's hilarious. Um, oh, my gosh. I have like a lot floating around now. Um, I mean, definitely being recognized is like fun. But I guess I think I have a little bit of a different situation because I live in a small town and it's like a tourist town. So I think maybe, I don't know, like that has like gives me a different situation of people like knowing, like saying stuff about my books or something. Like, I don't know, like it's more, I don't know. Um, but that's always like really exciting. But I will have to say, um, I posted a picture. It was when we were in New York and um, my, I never saw it. My sister-in-law sent this to me later, which was really funny, but she said that there was a comment on the picture and there was a lady and I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know her. I didn't know who she was. And she said, I saw you walking around Bergdorf and I wanted to say hello and how much I loved your books. And I was like, my sister-in-law sent it to me and she was like, you've reached the pinnacle of your life. You can quit now. Nothing <laughs> that is going to happen sure. to you ever again. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like really, really cool. But again, on the flip side of that, Kristen, most of the time I yeah. feel like, people think that I'm like, you know, scribbling in my notebook and like yes. taking my pages to Kinko's. So yes, like, yes, same. I know it's, it's a real, it's a real brief glimmers of, Oh my gosh, that's so yes. cool. And, but I mean, I think we would probably all have to say too, like being on a stage like together and yeah. having yes. that comes out to see us and yeah, it's, you've made it, but it's almost, it's like such gratitude for me yes. because of all of the times that you go somewhere or have, or have gone somewhere and there were like three people and you're like, Oh God, like, yes, I, I can do this again. Yes. You know? <laughs> Completely. I feel like, um, I'm waiting for the, I have made it like I've made it. That's it. I've made it. But I can tell you the very first time I thought I did, but I really didn't. It was when I was in carpool and I mean, most of, you know, I'm a grandma and, um, my oldest daughter has, you know, has two darling babies and she's 30 now and she was in preschool and I was in carpool line and I got the call on my flip phone that, um, I had my first publishing offer from a publishing house and it was Penguin and before it was even Penguin Random House. And I remember thinking like, this is the thing, but then there's a million things after that. Like there's always this next goal and this next goal. And then there's the imposter syndrome and then there's the next goal. So Debbie, I think that we can get the I've made this goal feeling, but like the I have made it feeling is very, very elusive. Yeah, we that's, keep moving our own goalposts. Yeah, that's a good point. As I as I think we should. I think that's how you keep yeah. growing. And and I, I think when the moment you get too complacent and think like, ah, everyone loves me, I've made it. Like it's just that. Oh, can you imagine even thinking that? Like, oh I mean, I yeah, pretty much I mean, do that every day, eating caviar and Cameron was like, oh, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, and I kind of feel like maybe I'm like, 
I still yeah. am like, still what, feel am, like that. what am I doing here? Like, the, and, yeah. and I know we talk about this all the time, but literally every book, I'm like, this is a book where they figure out that I, I can't actually do yes. this. I feel and like that all, every single time. It's all over. So every time so we may never have the real, I've made it feeling, but that first phone call, that's the best one. Maybe that can be on our tombstones. Like I, I made it like Patty made it. Christy made it. Kristen made it. Kathy made it. Like we'll know then. Right. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, okay. Uh, yep. Yeah, Patty, you're right. So Mary Kay, you want to ask your, um, ask your question? Yeah. Brielle Petretti Bleeker asked, besides having a thick skin and being prepared for rejection, what do you wish you knew then that you know now about querying? Kristen? Um, that the, that it's something I, that I wish I knew about that, that I've had to learn about life too, is that you don't have to take, you don't have to undervalue yourself and take the first offer that comes your way. Um, I, um, I have an amazing agent now. My first agent decision wasn't a bad decision, but it wasn't the right decision. Cause I think I just thought any agent, oh my gosh, this agent wants me like, yes, I'm in, you know? And I think I undervalued myself and, and just didn't read the industry correctly. So I think I wish I had known don't undervalue yourself. Hmm. Yeah, mine's kind of similar to that. I, I can I get queasy like thinking about this. I really do. <laughs> I know. I was like, can we skip that one? Yeah. It's so hard. Um, I really felt like I could never make it. I would never get an agent. I would never get an editor because I didn't know anyone in publishing. And I really thought like everyone getting published had like these like, connections where they had friends or they knew someone or they somehow because I just it just felt so impossible. Otherwise, um, and that's obviously not true because I mean, I didn't know anyone. I got an agent from just a cold query letter and Kristen, you're the same, right? I mean, I think we all, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, mostly. So, um, I, yeah, I think that's what I would say. If you're like sitting at your house, like thinking, you know, no one knows me and this is never going to work. Like I was in that same boat. So it, I, I do think, I don't think that's the case now, you know, knowing what I know now, I don't think that's the case. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would say, don't be so eager to accept rejection. Mm. I had an agent um, that I had queried and sent her my, um, my manuscript, my first manuscript, which by the way, never got published. And she wrote me back a very thoughtful letter suggesting some changes in it. And I thought, well, that's it. She's telling me I suck. Yeah. <laughs> She was actually telling me if you make these changes and, and send it back to me and resubmit, I think I could sell it. <laughs> and I didn't know that until I was at a writer's workshop and I had a manuscript evaluation with um, Sue Grafton. And I told, she said, well, have you started querying? And I said, yeah, but this agent, you know, here's what she said. I had the letter in my purse, um, you know, along with the hacksaw blade that I carry around. Um, and I showed her, she said, you idiot. This woman wants to represent you. <laughs> Don't be so eager to accept rejection. Um, sometimes, and, and it's hard to know when you're going through it, that a, a rejection that opens even a glimmer of hope, grab onto that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, okay. We've got another live question to ask, but before we do that, Oh, Patty, did you want to answer? I'm, I'm just going to, I, I'm just going to repeat you guys. So keep going. We have a great <laughs> question coming up. Everything y'all said, I'm just going to go ditto, 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 ditto. Okay. So. I think Mike's going to come on for this one. Yeah. yeah. Sean, like actually maybe Sean should come on for this one. Also. I think Sean needs I to come on. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Great idea. You can take me out because I have no answer to this question. Sean, <laughs> get out here for yeah, this one. Come on, one. Sean. Okay. Sean, right. on the stage. So Brenda Gaskell asked me this question, which is so great. Um, so I'm going to turn it around for all of you in a little bit of a different way. But she said, what is your favorite Peloton workout? And what else do you do for exercise? And do you work out when you're on the road for book tour? So I'll answer in a moment. But I'm really interested to hear your replies. Like, what do you exercise? If you do, what do you do? And, and do you work out when you're on the road or when you're deep in revisions? Mm. Oh, you added to it. 
Um, so I, my favorite Peloton workout is with Ali Love. I'm part of the Love Squad. And when I'm dying on the bike and she says, you can do this. I'm like, no, I can't. Um, and then I like when she calls me a boss, but I like her 30 minute interval and arms. And I'm really terrible about exercise on the road. Yeah. I definitely do it when I'm deep in revisions because it keeps me from going mad. But on the road, I, I just, frankly, I just don't, I just don't. It's too hard for me to find where to do it. I try to walk a lot when I'm on the road, yeah. but I don't do a workout. How about you, Mary Kay? You all know the answer to this question. I'm a slug. We walk with you every day when we are on trips together. I yes. um yeah. I walk. Um I'm currently facing a total knee replacement, so I'm not Maybe doing a lot of i I get on the I get on the exercise bike and, and try to pedal for 15 minutes. But when I'm in revision, I all I do is revision. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. When I'm in revision, when I'm on a tight deadline, um, all of the things that are actually good for me go out the window. Um yeah. but um in my normal life, when I'm not on a super tight deadline, when I'm not buried under you know work I need to do, um, I I also ride a stationary bike, but it's not a Peloton. Um, partially because I don't use, I wouldn't use like the, um, the, like watching an instructor or whatever. I should, I would be in better shape if I did, but I use my time on the stationary bike to read. And that's when I get a lot of my blurb reading done. So if I've committed to blurbing a book, um, I'm often reading it on my Kindle on, yeah, on, on the bike. And I'm probably not getting as good of a workout as I would otherwise. Um, but but I you're not that still. Yeah. Yes. And I have that wonderful feeling of multitasking and I, yeah. and I always make sure that I'm at least sweating and breathing hard. Cause then I feel like I'm doing something like something's awesome. happening in my body. Yes. For sure. <laughs> like, what about you? Oh yeah. Sorry. Me. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I go to the gym. Um, I have a little local gym that I go to five days a week with like little, um, classes. Alyssa, who runs our gym, You Are Fit in New Jersey, is a, is a Friends in Fiction member. Um, Hi. <laughs> Hi! Maybe she could do online classes for us. He does <laughs> online classes. And, uh, but we do have a Peloton, which I bought for Dave and uh, my husband as a gift. And um, I probably ride it the least out of everybody in the house, but my favorite instructor is definitely Cody Rigsby. I know I'm not alone in that. Like, I'd love him. <laughs> my daughter Grace is like a rabid Peloton rider, and she's about to hit her 300th ride, which is like very exciting because we haven't even had the bike that long. Um, but every time I walk by the room where the Peloton is, and she's on with Cody, and I, he's just so um, positive and upbeat. Like you could just weep with the positivity and the fun. Yes. Makes you laugh. Yeah. Like, where does he come up with this stuff to say? Because it, it appears that he hasn't thought about it at all. Like, it's just <laughs> off the cuff. Yeah. yeah. He's adorable. He's adorable. What about you, Sean? Well, I'm just going to freak out about this live comment. Cody was on Dancing with the Stars? Yes. yes. I heard him talk about that. No. He did the tango. <laughs> well, Cody's my favorite, and... I think the only reason you guys pulled me on was because Cody's my favorite. And I, I had a total like Cody Rigsby moment that I blanked on his name and I said Cody Banks, which is a movie, Agent Cody Banks with Frank yes. Malcolm in the middle. And I don't, my wires just got crossed. That's a total Cody moment. The only reason I'm here is just to say, Cody, I love you. I hope this goes viral. Let's be <laughs> So I just want to echo. Um, well, I'm in a little bit of a different situation right now because I tore my calf playing tennis, um, which has been. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm going to be on crutches for a few days. I'm going to be fine. Well, we're 22 days in, and um, it's going slowly. It's going very, very slowly. Um, so I have had to switch gears a little bit. I'm not doing Peloton. I'm not playing tennis. I'm not going to my downtown bar studio. Um, so I've been doing a lot of Allie Love because she has an awesome bar series um, with Hannah Corbin. They they both do it. And so I've been doing a lot of like arms and abs and like floor leg work and stuff because um, 
Yeah, it sort of threw me for a loop a little bit. Um, during revision, oh, and, and, and on the road, I always have these like really grand plans. I will say there are um, there hotels now that will bring a Peloton to your room. And that's really helpful because if it's sitting in your room, it's really hard. I mean, even if you're just like, I'm going to get out of that. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll hook you up. But um, even if you're just like, I'm going to get on a 20 minute scenic ride or whatever it is, like at least it's like kind of something, but I always have really good intentions. But the reality is, I mean, when we're on tour, we're usually doing like two or three events a day. We're traveling in between. We're, we're lucky to get like a human being's sleep and yeah, like, and, and something that like, we'll talk about it. Like, we'll I'll be texting. We'll be like, has anyone eaten anything that wasn't in a package today? Like, I mean, so exercise is sort of by the wayside. And when I'm deep in revisions, like lifting my wine glass is really. <laughs> no. eight um, ounce so heavy. It's so I heavy. Those eight ounce curls. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sean, you should pull this last segment and I'll send it to Peloton and try to get them to be our sponsor. <laughs> Just cut, cut, cut out the part where I'm like, I ride a stationary bike, but it's not a Peloton. <laughs> not okay. a Peloton. That'll be bad. Yeah. Because it's Kristen, I can I ride my Peloton sometimes and read, but that's what I always did in college. I would like study on the stationary bike. So I feel you on that. That is a really excellent use of time. I also have to say, I've really, I I love the Peloton Moms Book Club. I love the idea that there's like a book club around Peloton. So like, so I I, I could probably be easily converted. I'm I'm not ruling it out. (laughs) I'm in. in. All right. Well, that. I want to go back one second to the the previous question about um, when you felt like you made it, because we had the best comment from Devin Stokes, who said she felt like she made it when she geeked out by meeting all of you in Cleveland this past May. So sweet. Devin, thank you. Oh, that's so awesome. All right. Well, you guys, that was so much fun. And thank you for sharing that, Meg. Okay. So um, yeah, let's do our announcements and then we will close out the show. This has been such a nice time tonight. I feel like we were just, we could sit around for hours. I know. So fun. And I want to talk about our Writer's Block podcast. We will always post links under announcements each time a new one drops. A new episode launches each Friday. On last week's episode, Out Now, Ron and I talked to author Claire Pooley about her brilliant new novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. And coming this Friday, Ron and Meg will talk to Christine Pride and Joe Piazza about their timely novel, We Are Not Like Them, which was a GMA pick in hardcover and was just relieved in paperback. The Friends of Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa is having a blast. I never can say that, y'all. Like, I'm going to have to practice. <laughs> um, if you're not there, well, you are missing out. The group, which is a separate Facebook page from our Friends in Fiction Facebook group. That's how many members are in our Friends in Fiction Facebook group? 83,000. No, 85. I think we're up to 85, aren't we? Are we? 85,000. We are. Because it occurred to me last week, like if you watch the show on YouTube every week, you might not know we have a Facebook group with Mm. 83 to 5,000 members. 84.4, I just looked. 84.4,000 members. (laughs) Yeah. um, But anyway, Lisa and Brenda have the amazing uh, book club that is separate from us and is 13,000 strong. So Brenda and Lisa, otherwise known as PB&J, choose the books and host authors for monthly chats. They have happy hour, happy hours with our Writer's Block podcast host, Rob Block, and they keep everyone in the loop about suggested reads and upcoming releases. Join them on September 19th when they will be discussing The Lost Book of Eleanor Dare by our darling friend, Kimberly Brock. And have you heard our new Friends in Fiction first edition subscription and box is now available from Booktown in Manasquan and features signed hardback first editions from all four of us for our 2023 books and a darling picture coming soon, friends and fiction, although I like Tamron's new name, Friends Who Know Fiction. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to tell y'all, I am surrounded by tea towels. I have samples and samples and samples and samples. Show, show so you will on. be receiving a tea towel. Oh, <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. They're so cute, y'all. So don't miss out because you can only get that with, with the subscription. And we have a link on our Facebook page. But another easy way to find it is to go to Booktown. And there is an E at the end of town. Booktown.com. And enter friends in fiction into the search box. 
it's actually on their homepage and it'll come right up. And speaking of our 2023, uh, sorry, have we told everybody what the T is going to say on it? Nope. Um, this is an MKA special, but we'll go ahead and tell y'all tonight. It says dinner, dinner can wait. It's time for friends and fiction. I love it. So much fun. Okay. And speaking of our 2023 books, which I am trying to finish mine next year, we will do at least four friends and fiction live events, one during each of our book tours. So stay tuned for news about those four events so you can mark your calendars and make your travel plans to join us as we take our show on the road in April, May, June, and again in the fall, if I finish my book. (laughs) Which you will, which you will. All right, everyone, what a night this has been. Thank you so much to all of you out there for spending time with us. You can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We are live there every week, just like we are on Facebook. And as Christy said, if you're watching us on YouTube, you don't know about our Facebook group. There are 85,000 people. And I look today, there are 42,000 interactions per day in our Facebook group. Per day, 42,000 interactions. So if you want to talk to other people who love books, make sure to keep coming or back Cody to the Rigsby. Facebook group page. Or Cody. If, if Cody Rigsby wants to come, we will interact with you. We would, we would love to interact yep. with Cody Rigsby. 42,000. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So make sure to subscribe on YouTube. You won't miss a thing. And be sure to come back right here next time. Same time, same place next week. <laughs> when we welcome Team W and Miriam Parker. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.